On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about a basketball game coming to First Ontario Centre in June involving 10, 11, 12 NBA players, Canadian guys, who are playing for Canada's national team. It's a big deal. We haven't had pro, well, we've had pro, but not NBA pro basketball here probably in 25 years. You can hear about that. Mike Morreale, the commissioner of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, joins us. And we're going to be chatting with Graham Mackay who is the editorial cartoonist of the Hamilton Spectator. How do you take an issue like coronavirus, a serious, upsetting, heavy issue, and turn it into something that gives people a chuckle every day? We'll talk about it. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. June the 12th, the day before the Ticats opened their new season, we learned today, we learned yesterday and today that there is going to be a basketball game at First Ontario Centre between the CEBL All-Stars. That The CEBL is the league that started here last year with the Hamilton Honey Badgers that made it to the finals. And the men's Olympic team from Canada. Which is a pretty exciting thing. Maybe not so much once upon a time. But recently, but now... With all of the number of Olympic, pardon me, of NBA players who are now on the men's Olympic team, this is basically going to be almost a who's who. There may be one or two people not there, but almost a who's who of Canadian basketball playing here at First Ontario Centre in that game. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's from Hamilton, will be there. Uh, Jamal Murray, who's a terrific player, will be there. Uh, all, All kinds of other guys. We can go down the whole list if you want, but it is, this is a cool thing. That, as I say, that once upon a time may not have been so. The guy who has pulled this whole thing together, uh, he's a familiar name to, I think, everybody in the city, not necessarily only for basketball. Mike Morreale may be better known for his Ticat days, but now he is the commissioner, the president of the CEBL. He joins us now. Mike, thanks for doing this today. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. It has been a long time since there has been NBA basketball of any kind at Cops Coliseum slash First Ontario Centre. Yeah, it's been... 25 years. Uh, the world championships were here, I think, in 94. So there were some uh, NBA players at that time. And then uh, the Raptors played a few uh, regular season games earlier on in their uh, development while they were waiting on the ACC to be built. And that's it. Uh, so uh, this is, I, I kind of heard your forward to this, and I, and I completely agree. This is a real uh, amazing opportunity for us to uh, make Hamilton a point for basketball. There's a lot of talent that's come out of Hamilton. It'd be nice to showcase that and so much more. Would this game be sellable in this city, honestly, if it wasn't for the huge number of NBA players that are now on this team? Well, I, I don't think it'd be it'd be near as, as sellable. Um, and that's not that's no disrespect, but we would, you know, probably look to more modest numbers like like would come through for our CBL games, which are great for us. Um, but you know, we want to quadruple those numbers uh you know we want to get twelve thousand plus i mean i always kind of threw around just by comparison sake winnipeg got eight thousand fans with the team with you know just a couple guys that had you know a little shot at the nba certainly not with the caliber players that are coming to hamilton hamilton's a huge market as is the surrounding area so uh, you know to me if you want to take a look at the best players in the world will be in Hamilton on June 12th. But we love, I mean, we love celebrity. We love watching the best and we love watching people that we know and, and, and famous names. And that's, 
That, I think, is why this thing seems like it's going to work, because you've got at probably, let's say, 10 minimum guys who are going to be on the national team who even moderate basketball fans are going to be able to say, I know who that guy is. Yeah, I, I think for sure. And, and you know, Shea, Shea Gilgis Alexander is, is a local favorite. I mean, I, I'm excited to see him play in Hamilton. I'm sure he's equally as excited to come here and showcase what he can do professionally at that level. It's been quite some time. And, you know, you have Jamal Murray, who is arguably one of the best players in the NBA who, you know, grew up in Kitchener. Um, so we expect these surrounding areas, the, the Niagara's, the Kitchener's, the Guelph's, the Brantford's, the Milton's, the Oakville's, all the way to Toronto to, to really hopefully be engaged behind it. We, we certainly understand um, the importance of this game for Team Canada and for many reasons. I mean, to prepare for the Olympics, number one, but also, you know, as a marketable asset, it, it's good for them and us. And you mentioned Hamilton. I mean, we right now, and it it seems sort of, we tend to, I've said this before on the show, we tend to underplay ourselves a little too much sometimes. You can make, I think, a very solid case that the best male basketball player from Canada right now, Shea Gilgis, that's him, and he's from Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Kia Nurse is, I don't think there's any question she's the best female player in the country right now. Both of the best players in this country, male and female, are from this city. That's pretty cool. It's it's extremely cool and something we should celebrate. You know, obviously uh, the CYO dinner they they did the athletes of the year and Brandon Banks uh, ended up winning, but it was you know the top three are Brandon Banks, Shea Gilgis, and and Kia Nurse, and and rightfully so. Um, you know, and and that's good. I'm, I'm glad we get the chance to celebrate them. And and Kia needs all the uh, publicity and praise because man, she has put together just an amazing year of basketball between the WNBA. Uh, Team Canada and the WNBL. I mean, she has just been on fire, and and uh, it's great for basketball in general. And, and Hamilton should be very proud. Well, and also the head coach of the women's national team is from here. I mean, I, I would say that Glenn Grunwald has failed miserably in that he hasn't found a Hamilton man to coach the male, the men's national team, because otherwise we'd have a clean sweep. Well, there you go. <laughs> and, and yeah, Lisa Tomitis has done just a fantastic job. It's. It really is, uh, you know, becoming a hotbed all across the country. But it's nice to be able to finally, you know, make, you know, bring it to Hamilton. I, I really hope the city rallies behind it. Uh, I know there's a ton of um, excited basketball fans, and and there'll still be that entertainment aspect as well. It's going to be a hard-fought game, but it's also going to be a game uh, similar to the one you'd find to come watch the Honey Badgers or any other of our team. There's going to be music. It's going to be excitement, uh, and we just get to. Uh, watch some guys with some big names on their back, their jerseys run around. Is it going to be a blowout? Are the NBA guys going to kill the other team? Well, I don't think so. And it's it's hard for me to say, obviously, because I'm no expert uh, on that. Uh, we are going to try and put together a team that Nick Nurse and his coaching staff uh, are likely to face uh, in the qualifying tournament. So, you know, we, they may want us to set up a certain way and, and put certain guys in the lineup. But having said that, because of all the NBA stars that are going to be uh, on Team Canada, that is now squeezing out that next 10. And those next 10, you know, probably had 30, 40 games under Canada's belt that are excellent players. Some of them, you know, M- have been in the NBA and back down again. You know, those are players that are looking to enter our league now. So it may be, it could be an all-Canadian sweep on both sides. And I think that's the exciting part about it, is to see who comes from Team Canada and who we have that maybe was Team Canada members in the past going head-to-head. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with Mike Morreale, who is 
a guy you probably know from football, but also now as the president and commissioner, and he's probably got other titles. His business card is probably a fold-out now, but of the Canadian Elite Basketball League that is hosting a game July, June the 12th against the Canadian National men's, I was going to say the Olympic team, the hopeful Olympic team. They have to qualify for the Olympics still, and that's what they're preparing for with this pre-tournament game here, probably 10 or 12 NBA guys on the team. And Mike, as, as I say, you, you didn't come into this job as a basketball guy per se. You were a football player. You were involved with the CFL, with the PA, with all that kind of stuff. But you have been, for a, probably a couple of years now, immersed into the basketball side of things and into the Hamilton basketball community. Why is Hamilton doing so well with basketball from your perspective? Well, I, I think it starts at, at the minor level. Uh, you, you don't have to look too far to, to talk about, you know, the success of, of uh, organizations like Blessed Sacrament or MAGA Basketball or, you know, Transway for the Girls is legendary. It is, I was out in Ottawa and discussing basketball with a, a former Ticap uh, teammate of mine, actually, and he has Couple of girls in the Ottawa elites, and we we're talking about you know who who do you who do you play with the toughest teams at Transway? The Transway girls programs are, are the best in the country, and you know as are the other ones. They are just we're developing them very well, I think, at a young level. Um, they're getting exposure to basketball. Obviously, what's happened with the Raptors over the last while has certainly helped put more eyeballs on it and get more people there, and and they're getting coached well at the high school level and grade school level as well. You know, ex. Uh, university players, et cetera, that, and, or longtime coaches. So it, it's exciting. You know, there's a lot of competition in basketball. Um, it's hard to stay in school for some of these kids because they get pulled in different directions to go to academies or to go to other private schools, et cetera, because we're producing a lot of great athletes and um, especially basketball players. At the press conference today announcing this game, I think it was Glenn Grunwald mentioned that they're, that they've seen a 15% increase in participation across the country. And the suggestion was that this was a spinoff from the Raptors' success last year, the championship. Do you see the same thing? Do, do you see that the Raptors have raised all ships? I, yeah, I, I, I really do. I think we got caught, you know, and had to downside of it a few for a few weeks because of the run it takes you know uh, money away from people coming to our games or eyeballs away but the long-term effects are are going to be extraordinary it's just it's really changed the dynamic on um on kind of the coolness factor of basketball and what's great about it and, and that's what we preach i mean i'm a football guy through and through but the sport of basketball and you know it allows itself to be connected to sport uh, not only sport but you know, art and uh, fashion and music and all those things and excitement of, about a quick, fast-paced game back and forth, the athleticism, um, the fact that it's accessible to all, it could be played with just a ball and a hoop somewhere, has really also um, coupled with the Raptors' success, I think, raised all boats. I think the, the, you know, the amount of people that come to this country and don't understand football or hockey, they gravitate towards soccer and basketball and they like it, and there's more people that like it, which means uh, those successes go a lot further. The suggestion was made, and I think accurately, that back in the early 90s, the way the Blue Jays played when they won the World Series, there were a lot of kids that were interested in registering for baseball and playing baseball, and we saw huge numbers back then. We all know that it's a little more difficult these days to find enough kids to make a large baseball league. It's not a bottomless pit. It doesn't go on forever, so how do you... The Raptors aren't going to win forever. Who knows if they're going to win this year or not, but how do you maintain the momentum that you got from that 
even if the Raptors were to fall off the table? Yeah, I, I think it's partly our job to do it as a national league. So we expand those borders outside of Toronto. I, I would argue there's fans in this country that don't care for the Raptors because they're from wherever, provinces that just don't care. Um, we, you know, with our league, those same uh, people may have a team in their own province, their own city that they want to call their own, and, and that's their kind of Raptors fever. And we kind of noticed that, and that's the beauty of what we do and our connection to youth sports and the ability to use some of their players, uh, graduating players, and, and even some returning players will hopefully draw more people to youth sports. And, and that will be, you know, all it all comes from the bottom somewhere. And I think the, these club programs and, and uh, minor basketball um, need some help. Uh, if you listen to Glenn today, uh, because of the increases, you know, there's increased uh, times for practice facilities or there's a lack of practice facilities. We know right in this city, you know, we're at a massive need for infrastructure for indoor sports uh, um, complexes, et cetera. We, we don't have it. it. It's sad, actually. So hopefully in the discussion around the Hamilton 100 and everything else that's going on will lead to that. But I think that's what could stand in the way of basketball. I think it's access to courts and access to coaches and access to all those people so that the bottom keeps full. And perhaps that's what happened with baseball. I don't know. But if you if there's no tap uh, left, then you're right. It just goes by the wayside. Okay, access. We're out of time already. But access to tickets for this game on June 12 with all the NBA players. Uh, they go on sale in two days, I believe, unless you're a season ticket holder already for the CEBL. In two days, where can someone get the tickets if they want to go? Well, you always go through our website or go to ticketmaster.ca or cbl.ca backslash Northern Showcase, and you should have uh, any one of our social media posts will have links to everything. So hope to see uh, a ton, a ton of people there. It'll be a great day. Mike, thanks for jumping in. Appreciate your time today. Oh, thanks a lot, Scott. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So I got thinking today about the fact uh, we talked last hour about the coronavirus throughout the day today. Bill Kelly talked about the coronavirus. Scott Thompson talked about the coronavirus. The news talked about the coronavirus. TV news talked about the coronavirus. The paper talked about the coronavirus. Websites have talked about the coronavirus. You cannot go anywhere without hearing about the coronavirus. So much gloom and doom, much of it rightly so, but we needed to lighten things up a little bit. Well, who better to do that? than Canada's leading and best and most talented editorial cartoonist, Graham Mackay from The Spectator. How are you, Graham? I'm pretty good. How are you, Scott? I'm excellent. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, This is anything but a funny story, and yet your job is to deal with the news of the day and turn it into something that is going to not probably be too often anyway, too dour. You've got to do something that makes us sort of smile despite the fact that this is a story that is very hard to imagine, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, right, because everyone is talking about it. It's everywhere, as you say, um, everywhere on TV, on, in the news every everywhere. Um, so I can't avoid it. Um, so every day this past week and the previous week to my boss, uh, you know, he always comes over and he says, what, what, are you, what are you drawing on? And he gives me an idea what he's going to be um, editorializing on. And the challenge is, is is trying to be topical and interesting, but we can't get away from this topic. Uh, the coronavirus is the topic of the the moment, and uh, yeah, it's it's not the easiest thing to to add humor to. I try my best, <laughs> but you know, satire isn't necessarily about um, you know making people laugh or chuckle. It's also to, to make people think. 
So, um, yeah, every day is a challenge. Like yesterday, I did a cartoon about uh, tying in Mr. Del Duca, the, the new liberal leader, and coronavirus. Uh, you'll have to see. I, I'm sure he loved that. <laughs> it took a twist to actually combine the two, but I, w- I managed to do it. Uh, and and uh, yeah, that, that when, you, when you're sitting there at your desk and you're looking at a blank piece of paper, eventually things start to swirl in your head, and you you start having um, you know psychedelic kind of. <laughs> in your head, so. But but the thing about it is, again, it's such a miserable topic. Honestly, I mean, it really is. And there are certain miserable, tragic. Uh, topics, I mean, along those lines, like you can't poke fun at murderers or horrible criminals or no. mass tragedies. So how do you, like, where's the line? There has to be a line. Where's the line that you can make a funny or not make a funny? Well, you, you don't want to show you know, dead people or anything like that. I, I, I tend to think that uh, going out of the science, the, the microscopic level uh, is helpful because um, they're amazing, these little tiny things are causing so much havoc, uh, not only to, to humans, but it, it, it seems to be wrecking our economy before our eyes as well. And who would have guessed, you know, a month ago, you know, with terrorism and, and all this, you know, um, climate change and everything, that it, it would take a, you know, a small virus to cause so much upset in the world. So usually, if you if you refer to the science of it, all that, that helps. And I've done a few cartoons on that. Um, and then when you apply it to, um, uh, just, to, just to funny things in, in the, in the world and, and our general lives as humans, I think you get a, a good recipe for humor. Are there limits though? Like, are there, is there something you wouldn't do as far as a cartoon with this? <laughs> there's, there's obviously some boundaries. Um, self-set or I, given to you? Oh, oh, I think, you know, I've been doing this for 23 years, so I've got an idea I've learned from my masters. No, you can't draw that, Graham. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Or ridiculous in the sense that we can't publish it. So um, I pretty much know, you know, for example, if I'm going to combine this with Mr. Del Duca being elected, I certainly wouldn't combine this with, um, say, uh, a blockade by Indigenous peoples. (laughs) That's just not going to work. So you got to be very careful in crafting a, a, a kind of combo cartoon. For how, sure. how many cartoons have you done over the years? Would you guess that when it's done or almost done that you've had someone say, yeah, mm, no, nah, that's one's not going in the paper. Um, I, I usually have one, you know, once every couple months, uh, <laughs> really? my boss comes to me and said, no. And the most recent one was uh, something on a blockade uh, cartoon. It was just maybe two or three weeks ago. And even I, like, I just had, as I was drawing, I was just thinking, I don't know. And and it was, it was just, I mean, I think it would work maybe at a different era in time, but just because it involved a headdress, even though the headdress was sort of kind of part of the, the, the stereotype that, that the, the, the viewer was going to understand was part of the gag. My boss said no because people aren't going to get it. it. It has to be way more nuanced than that to to actually uh, be appear in our paper. So he basically nixed it. But I had an idea beforehand that this was not a good day for me, and I surrendered <laughs> at three o'clock when he came by to have a look at it. And I said, 
you know, Howard, I'm going to show you this, but I know you're going to say no, and uh, that's okay. How about you give me the day off? And so we did. <laughs> See, you have a book that's out. I'm assuming most people have seen it. Hopefully many have bought it. It's all about being from Hamilton. I'm thinking there is another book in you of just the cartoons that you were not allowed to publish. No. It'll be Graham's Adults After Dark Cartoon Book. <laughs> The Graham's Book of Offensive Cartoons. The Spiked Cartoons. The Spiked Cartoons. I know that Gary Larson had one of, a book like that from the far side of cartoons that he was not allowed to publish, and they finally put them out. I, I, I think it would be a big seller. Uh, it might be your last day on the job, but it would be a big seller. Yeah, you might see another part of my side that the public doesn't know about. <laughs> so, uh, I know like, within our um, association, the American Association, the Canadian uh, Association of Cartoonists, we actually, when we gather together every year or so, we we choose the Golden Spike Award, and that's an award given to the best cartoon drawn by an editorial cartoonist that was, you know, killed by the editor because, of, you know, it, it would offend way too many people. And uh, th- that's always a nice um, sort of t- thing to see. And it's also very revealing about the cartoonists that you didn't know about. Has there, has, how many times has that cartoon been shown, the winner and all the other cartoonists have said, uh, Yeah, we all, well, it gets the loudest chuckles, in, you know, when they're posting. The, the dark humor. And, and then we all vote on, on which one is the best. And, uh, and they get the gold spike for the year. It's, it's a great honor to have. I would think the one thing really going for you, though, when you're with this coronavirus thing right now, is that anytime you're doing a cartoon, you have one panel. I mean, you can divide it into three or four or whatever, but I mean, you have very limited space, very few words. In order for a cartoon to work, people have to know what the heck it is you're drawing about. They have to know the background story. You can't pick something out of the paper that's so obscure that nobody knows or else it doesn't work. Everybody knows what this is. Yeah, Absolutely. And that's uh, the challenge that I, I face every day. And something that I ask my colleagues is that, do people, are people going to get this? Like, do, do people really care about, say, the new liberal leader of Ontario? Like, is this too premature? Um, does anyone, like, do, Dean Del Duca, you, you, or not Dean, I guess it's Stephen Del Duca. Yep. I, I don't even know the guy's name. Um, like, does that, do the public really know? Or do they care right now? Or do we have to... Um, wait until it starts to brew, like these, these issues and these people start to brew in, in the public conscious before I start to tackle them. I think coronavirus is an easy one that I can uh, obviously uh, tackle on a daily basis. I did one today, I did one yesterday, I'm more than likely to do something for tomorrow because it, it would just look ridiculous if I, I, I chose some topic, you know. Even like if you go d- down south, all the Democratic candidates are this is all part of, you know, they're, they're canceling campaign stops and that sort of thing because of this virus. It's everywhere right now. There's no stopping it. Have you had any flack from anybody about any? Nobody's upset about coronavirus cartoons, are they, at this point? I think if it becomes um, something that starts killing people yeah, well, sure. locally, I mean, we have had one death in Canada. We've had a lot of people go sick. Um, I'm, I haven't been confronted with anyone or a reader that says, oh, very funny, Makai, you know, you're making fun of viruses that have been killing people all around the world. I haven't had that. And I think once, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we, we're all expecting it, it's going to happen locally. 
I think we're going to have to be very careful. I'm going to have to be very careful about, um, you know, uh, adding this in my cartoons or even talking about it. It's just, this is what happens sometimes. Um, there are issues that I just have to stay away from. You can then move to the uh, clouds with the angels and the pearly gates like cartoonists do whenever there's a sad cartoon to draw. Yeah, well, I think we've discussed <laughs> that issue. <laughs> that. Yeah, yes, what, what is, you want to stay e- away e- from. Explain what your personal rule is with the pearly gates cartoons. Yeah, the, the pearly gates cartoon is a typical cartoon that or gag that editorial cartoons uh, resort to when someone has died you know, be it a politician, or more increasingly, it's someone in entertainment, like a, a singer, like David Bowie, or uh, who is the most, uh, the guy from the Tragically Hip. Gordowney, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of, I guess we're, we're we've, we've actually discussed this at these conventions that we had, and, and, and the topic came up that, that we should put a, <laughs> we should enforce a limit for each editorial cartoonist on how many pearly gates one can do in one <laughs> lifetime. And the cap is six. The cap I think I'm about, <laughs> about four. It's I the... did one for Reagan. I did one for um, Lincoln Alexander. Um, I think I did one for Don Knotts. Well, well, now, Don Knotts deserves it. The man was an angel. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, you know, you have to be, you have to use the pearly gates gag sparingly. It was a... <laughs> what we uh, came to to decide at that convention. Well, it's, it's probably wise advice. I mean, although I'm sure you can bang one out now in about four minutes and be done for the day. Well, that's the big mock thing. I mean, that's what people were mocking other cartoons for. It's like an easy easy way to get out before 11 o'clock and hit the golf course by 12. Right? <laughs> All right, let's switch it up just a little bit because this is not just coronavirus season, if such a thing exists, but it is also the beginning of a bunch of political seasons that are going on. You mentioned Stephen Del Duca. They had the Liberal Leadership Convention for the Ontario Liberal Party. He won on the weekend, and you, as you say, you drew him today. People can go look at online at your website. They can go to thespec.com. The challenge, I would think, with Stephen Del Duca is that I can tell there is absolutely nothing all that unique about him. He looks like every single bald guy with glasses in the world. Hey, be careful there, Rodney. Uh, that, well, that's me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> He, he might have, he might have a slightly wider head than me, but in a cartoon form, you know what? I mean, we're, we all look exactly the same. What do you do? How do you, today you had him wearing a name tag. That may be the thing you have to do. Well, uh, that's introducing him to, to the public and myself included, because I, I don't fully get his name for, for whatever reason, I always confuse him with Dean Del Mastro or Del Del Mice, the the conservative guy who was thrown in jail, the Harper uh, guy. Uh, but it, this is Stephen Del Duca. Uh, it was like Dom DeLuise, you know. You, gotta, you get these Dells all mixed up. But he, um, Del Duca, has a weird resemblance with the granny from uh, Sylvester and Tweety. You know, not, not the <laughs> hair, you know, the bun. But if you look at the face, very sharp chin and a granny kind of mouth, not, no lips and a hooked nose. And then very thick very strong glasses, very much like his predecessor, you know? Yes, Ms. yes. Had, had very... Minus uh, the bald head. ...distinctive glasses. And of course, she, she didn't have a bald head, but he had the, the horn room glasses, and he has very dark glasses that um, I'm betting he's going to ditch those, because that's what the cartoonists are going to start um, capitalizing on with Del, um, Del Duca. 
so who 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 knows what happens? Either that or he starts growing his hair or something. <laughs> oh, but, well, we'll see. Wearing a toupee. We'll suddenly see a toupee come out on the campaign trail, like Les Nesman in WKRP, the time he tried to take Lonnie Anderson out. We'll see that happen. Uh, Okay, down south, uh, we've seen plenty of Donald Trump. I won't make you discuss Donald Trump. People can go and see dozens of your versions of Donald Trump. Always brilliant. Hundreds. Okay, hundreds. I was going to cut you some slack on that one, but okay. Um, Joe Biden. How do you draw Joe Biden? What's What's the strongest feature of Joe Biden? Well, he's another tricky one. He, he's been around for a few years, uh, longer than Del Duca, uh, and so I've been drawing him. Um, the difference is he's an American uh, politician, and in recent years I haven't been, been really paying much attention sat- satire-wise to, to uh, politics down there, other than Trump. In the Obama years, I hardly ever drew Obama because he wasn't as much of a goof as, as the current one. So I hardly ever drew Biden, although Biden has had, has quite a history of running for president. And so I have drawn him running for president and that sort of thing. So with him, he's got a very long face, a big forehead, um, very stretched skin. Yeah, smoother than it used you. to be somehow. <laughs> somehow he's... He's, he looks a lot younger now than he did 20 years ago. Who knows? It's uh, all his herbal supplements, I'm thinking. I'm sure it's the herbal, and, and he, he eats a lot better than he used to. I'm sure that's what it is. But his if you look at his eyes, there's something going on there. I don't know. Maybe it is the herbs that are affecting his eyes, but they're very small, very tiny. Uh, and and so they're little dots on his on his face, basically. And his eyebrows are like little cups above his eyes the way that I, <laughs> I show them cups um, and and that tends to get him I mean he doesn't have a huge nose he's got big giant ears and he's always got a great smile he's got a fantastic smile of course his teeth are all original I'm sure I'm sure they are too yes everything on Joe Biden he is fully original parts I, I believe <laughs> absolutely if he's he was a, a draw. if he was a car right now and he was at that car show in Arizona, you can find on the on the channel on TV. He would be all original parts and would be worth a fortune. I would think so. Yeah. Now, okay, he looks like he's going to take this thing, but if it was Bernie Sanders that ends up being in the mix for president, how do you draw Bernie Sanders? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bernie's been around for a long time as well. Uh, this is his second election. Um, so he's um, he's got the crazy hair. That's the first thing that you noticed about him. And his mouth is kind of a he's got a big giant mouth and a big giant lower lip. So you got to get that right. And then the, uh, the he's got the angular eyebrows and glasses um, that are perpetual in his head. But you got to you you have to capture his his shoulders, which are you know his he, there is no neck on that man that you can see when the camera's pointing at him. He also has the 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 claw hands you know you see them flying around when he's speaking and it's like and there are these wobbly shaky knuckled things and I, I always tend to capture those looks uh, a little like an unmade bed someone pointed out that they're like claws and it's like he's clawing the one percent or something I don't know but <laughs> all right last one and this is this I must say this is my favorite thing that you draw consistently you could do a book of nothing but our city councilor's hair. I, I've argued before that you could do a cartoon of around the council table with no bodies, no heads, just the floating hairdos of our councilors and everybody would know who they are. Right. 
Uh, are we allowed to name names? That's the problem is because, you know, I'm a local cartoonist. The, the closer you get to, you know, the actual characters. I don't think we need because everybody knows who they are. But you, I mean, how many of the, if you go around that table of the 16, I bet yeah. you that 11 yeah. at least you could just do the hairdo and you would know who that person is. Yep. I mean, there's some middle parts in there. Uh, you know what? I'm going to, Whitehead, uh, Maria Pearson, uh, Judy Partridge, they probably have the best hair in, in, uh, on council. Sam Marula keeps changing his hair, so he's very difficult. Uh, Mr. Eisenberger is, uh, he's kind of got, um, he's got a very strong part, kind of boring hair. I, I, I often have to, check his pictures because he has facial hair now and then and then he changes that but those, those are probably the, the ones with the best hair to draw for sure there is uh there's more i wish we had more time to talk about this it's, it's great stuff because when you start talking about these things and we start to notice then it's uh, it's like oh yeah bang on just exactly what graham just said is how he's going to draw that guy uh listen always appreciate you coming on and doing this really appreciate it and uh always love looking at your work and people can actually go to the spec.com right now and there is a video up there of the process that of you drawing your cartoon from today that is on your iPad from start to finish. They can see how it comes together if they want to go and see how the very yeah. talented Graham Mackay puts his cartoon together. So, hey, listen, appreciate you doing this today. Thanks very much. My pleasure. It is, uh, go look up his stuff. I mean, he really is. I, I, I know that I work with him. I know that he's a colleague. I know that he's from Hamilton, well, Dundas, uh, now Hamilton. But Graham is absolutely, unquestionably, the most talented and best editorial cartoonist in this country. We are very lucky to have Graham in this business around here because I'm telling you, there are a lot of cartoonists. Well, there's not as many, but there's still quite a few cartoonists and they are not as good as Graham. They really aren't. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.